This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5, and surpasses AMVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AmvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the AMVA community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, folks. This week, I'm here with my friend Paul Steyer, AMVA's Director of Vehicle Programs. Paul, welcome back to the AmvaCast. Thank you, Ian. Glad to be here. Uh, this week, Paul and I are talking about flooded vehicles. As you all know, uh, coming into the end of hurricane season, and particularly in the shadow of uh, the devastating form storm of uh, Hurricane Ian, of all yes. names, but here we are nonetheless <laughs> talking about Hurricane Ian uh, that really uh, hit hard in uh, parts of Florida and up and up the coast, and what it means for flooded vehicles. We also the pictures of the coverage, um, cars completely submerged. Um, and cars even partially submerged. But, uh, Paul, I guess let's start there with the danger of water and, and, and vehicles. We know there's been, of course, there's been a lot of education the past few years around turn around, don't drown yeah. when you're in the vehicle. Yeah, exactly. But what we're talking about is whether or not you're in the vehicle or not, you know, you've done everything right and that vehicle has just been taken away by the water or just had water damage. So talk to me about why water damage is so problematic for a vehicle to begin with. It is, Ian, I tell you, because vehicles are not intended to be waterproof. Uh, you know, vehicles can drive through, you know, uh, rain, uh, and, and so they're certainly resistant to that, right? From <clears throat> as you're driving through a, a rainstorm, hopefully the water's not coming in your vehicle, right? But they're not intended to be parked and submerged in water. Uh, there's a reason why I'm not a plumber, because water can get through about anything, mm -hmm. especially if you give it time, yeah. and then add, add the component of salt water. Mm. And as that, as that salt water sits in those vehicles, those electrical components of that vehicle, airbags, the sensors that are in those vehicles, and this vehicles today are so full of electronic components, when water sits there, it, it very likely will get into places that it shouldn't, which may not be noticeable right away, which makes this so, uh, those vehicles so vulnerable to people because the vehicle doesn't display really any physical damage once it's dried out you know it, you can't necessarily tell by the naked eye it was at one point that's, standing in a few feet of water that's right and so you know we we talk about different things for the public to be aware of uh you know if a vehicle smells too good right where someone has really tried to really overdo it to clean it out to dry it out um, sometimes that's that's a clue that you know something's not quite right with this vehicle. It smells so almost too. Cool. Maybe when someone is selling a used car with the new car smell, <laughs> it could that's be a flag. Exactly it. And you know the other thing that we need to be aware of, and this is why ENS is so timely, is these vehicles. You know, many times will not be sold in the areas where they were flooded. These vehicles uh, may intentionally be moved jurisdictions thousands of miles away with the hope that the potential buyer will have no idea mm -hmm. where this vehicle was. So that becomes, that's why it's so important that we get the message out to everybody. So our jurisdictions that may be, you know, uh, thousands of miles away from the impacted area still need to be very mindful of this. So in terms of a vehicle that's been flooded, obviously it's very clear if you look at some of the news coverage of the storm and storm surge and salt water and where it's submerged, that that vehicle is flooded. But it doesn't take that much water 
for a vehicle to, quote, be flooded and for damage to happen. Can you tell me a little bit That's more about right. that, that the water doesn't need to be as high as you think it needs to be That's right. to start causing trouble? Exactly, because the vehicles, you know, when you think of a, a passenger car today, for example, or SUVs even, they're not that high necessarily, and there's a lot of components of those vehicles that are, are really at the base of those vehicles that uh, they're, again, submerged water, those vehicles sitting in that, that water is going to infiltrate. Now, you have braking systems, you know, you have lines that are running through those vehicles that there again, water can penetrate even into those lower parts of those vehicles that could cause serious damage, maybe not immediately, but more than likely when those vehicles sit for a long enough period of time. So it, it doesn't take much water uh, to get to those components because those components are so low to the ground. So it may not even be visibly inside the vehicle, Absolutely. but it's submerged the component, or at Absolutely. least it's been exposed so to the component long enough, especially the salt water would deteriorate it. Yeah, and you think of the braking system, you know, those those brakes of those vehicles are not very high off mm -hmm. the ground, so it doesn't take much for water to get up to those braking systems, for example, and that's a very important component of a vehicle. Yeah, and it might be something where it dries out, it might feel like it's driving okay in the immediate aftermath, and then it's, you know, not to use too graphic of an image, but the ticking time bomb type analogy of a year later, all of a sudden the brakes could fail. Yeah, because you know, when, when water sits through things over time, especially salt water, it gradually will deteriorate to where maybe initially, like you say, you know, it's not a problem, but over six months or a year, and then you put in the different climates that that vehicle may be exposed to, warming and cooling, mm -hmm. uh, it can really have some very catastrophic uh, tragedies that could happen to that vehicle just all of a sudden uh, that you never even realized. So let's start with the scenario of the responsible vehicle owner who uh, has a vehicle that's gone through this situation and isn't, isn't necessarily trying to sell it to somebody knowing they're trying to get away with something, but now they've, they've sat and they've watched their vehicle uh, maybe not be fully submerged because that's the more obvious one, but the yeah. less obvious one, what should they do? How should they start tackling, has my vehicle really been damaged here and what, what do I need to do as a vehicle owner knowing that, oh well, you know, the water came up like a foot on the wheelbase. It never entered the vehicle, but you know, maybe the wheels were underwater for half a day, mm -hmm. the tires were underwater. What does that responsible that's, vehicle owner do? That's where your trusted mechanics come into play and to let them actually look at it and uh, you know, analyze the vehicle, look at those most important components of that vehicle, work with that mechanic to get a good feel for what damage there could be to that vehicle. Obviously, if the vehicle is insured, if there are concerns about damage to the vehicle, that insurance company, you definitely want to work with that insurance company to work out what, you know, is there just things that can be repaired? Maybe the mechanic recommends certain components to be repaired, or potentially the insurance company, you may work out with them that the vehicle's a total loss. So um, there's typically this starts out with get, letting an expert take a look mm -hmm. at that vehicle. Uh, don't just assume that, well, I think it's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, take, let an expert look at it and then work through the process from there. And then if it is determined it's not repairable and it should not be driven, you've been given this information as a vehicle owner, what do I do? I tell the insurance company, they declare it a total loss, I get my money, mm -hmm. they take the vehicle, I take the vehicle. Who, who takes the role then to make sure that vehicle doesn't end up being driven? And that's really an important piece. You know, This is obviously for vehicles that are insured, but it's, it's working with that insurance company to, you know, maybe the owner is a handy person and thinks, well, you know, I could do some of this repair myself. And so even though it's a total loss, 
the customer may decide to keep the vehicle, but there has got to be, uh, in those situations, an insurance company is going to have to report that to Invitus, the National Motor Vehicle Title Information mm -hmm. System, because we need to have a record of that vehicle and the damage that was done to that vehicle. So that's for those insured cases. Now, if an insurance company says total loss, we're going to take it. Many times insurance companies have contracts with auctions mm. to dispose of the vehicle. Now, the insurance company is required to report that vehicle to Invitus through our junk salvage insurance uh, information reporting. Same way with the salvage uh, auction as well, it's going to be required to report that. With the goal being that anyone who checks that VIN in the future would see that, oh, this was a total loss. This salvage auction took this vehicle. There's a history of it being flooded that's well documented and recorded. Now for cases where there's no insurance, uh, this becomes a real challenge because um, you know, people might think, well, I'll just sell it to, you know, put it on the uh, internet and I'll sell it to somebody and I'll just tell them it's flooded, but it's okay. Or maybe mm -hmm. I won't even disclose of it, right? So when there's not insurance involved, then it becomes on the owner and the owner, whoever they dispose it, if the owner sells it to a salvage yard or a car dealer, well, they're going to be required to report that, potentially, that vehicle. But that becomes an area, uh, Ian, where it becomes um, public need to be aware of those situations mm -hmm. where indiv it's individuals selling it to another individual where they may not have been required to disclose it necessarily by our uh, National Motor Vehicle Title Information System regulations. But certainly we would hope by, by state law that they would disclose that to whoever they sold it to. But that's an area where it's buyer beware mm. if it hasn't been through, you know, an insurance company in an auction type setting. Is, is there a scenario where they're not required to disclose it? Or is it only a situation where someone would not disclose it out of trying to game the system and commit fraud? It, 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 a lot of it comes down, that's what this makes us so challenging. It comes down to an honor system. It comes down to your jurisdiction laws as far as at what point are you required to report it especially when there's not insurance involved. Many jurisdictions will say if it's a total loss, then it's required to be reported, you know, be, be branded as such. But if there's not insurance involved, then it comes down to some of your jurisdiction laws if there's maybe a damage disclosure law that's required to be reported as well. Um, but it, but it, then it becomes on the part of um, the seller, and, and our consumer protection laws really apply mm -hmm. at that point. If, even though maybe you're not aware as a seller of what I need to disclose, or if I need to disclose it, I still have a due diligence to let that mm. potential buyer know that you know, this vehicle was, you know, was flooded. It wasn't insured, but it was flooded. Now, I imagine, Paul, we probably have some folks listening going, well, wait a minute. Why is a car uninsured to begin with? Don't all the mm. jurisdictions require <laughs> insurance to register and title the vehicle to begin with? Well, you might have liability insurance requirements, right? But... Uh, that's not really going to protect you if that vehicle's a total loss from a flood situation. So mm -hmm. an individual might say, well, I have the bare minimum insurance as required by law, which is liability. If the vehicle's involved in a crash, I'm at fault. Um, but if the situation arises where it's just because of flood damage, I may get nothing from an insurance company because I don't have full comprehensive coverage. For so insurance. it's not that the vehicle wasn't insured, it's that this damage is not covered by the insurance they have and therefore they're not working with their insurance company in this situation. That's exactly right. So there could be different examples of that. So it's those that just choose not to have any, any insurance and then those that just choose to have 
the basic liability insurance because maybe just because of the age of the vehicle and they figure it's not worth mm. you know the full comprehensive right. insurance now when you're talking about the examples of the insurance company or the auction reporting to Nimvitis, this is where you know we hear the term brands branding the title explain a little more about what that means and why it's important that certain words are used in that in that process yeah so branding typically you think of a negative connotation about that vehicle so something about that vehicle uh, we're trying to warn any potential buyer or owner of that vehicle that there's a brand so there's a there's something negative about that vehicle to be aware of so you know we're talking about flood today but another more common one is you know the vehicle's been in a crash and it's sustained X number of dollars of damage and and so this is where uh, it's so important for the public because I know many times the public is maybe shopping on their own not going through a dealer or maybe a dealer may disclose some of those brands they might be shopping you know on, uh, from another individual who may not even have the title maybe there's a lien on it right they don't even have the title so we always encourage you know our our, our members to promote to their citizens you know, uh, check Invitus before you buy. Look mm-hmm. for those brands because those brands are telling you history about that vehicle uh, that you need to be aware of because it's going to impact potentially the value, potentially the safety, um, potentially what things you may have to repair in the future. But that, that branding is so important. But think of it as a negative connotation about that vehicle. Mm, a mark against it. Yes. And so, you know, in this process that we've laid out so far, our primary members that, you know, a lot of them are listening here, the DMVs, if you will, mm-hmm. they haven't touched the process yet, right? right? So now it's been, it's the owner, it's the insurance company, it's the auto auction company that's all handling this. Yeah. Uh, but when they report that information, who's actually placing that brand on the title? Is that something that happens automatically in the system when the insurance mm. company reports, or is that does the DMV need to approve that, if you will, since the title is a document that they've initially issued? That's a great question, Ian, because that's that's kind of the component where where it's um, things can happen that the public's not aware of. Because a junkyard, a salvage yard, insurance company, they have 30 days by by the federal law with Embitus to report that, and 30 days is a long time. So a lot of things can happen. Now, when they report it to Embitus doesn't mean that anything has been applied to a title. Mm. So the Invitus program, the Junk Salvage Insurance program, may indicate that insurance company AZ has taken possession of the vehicle or salvage auction has taken possession, but the title might not indicate anything at that yet because you're right, because it hasn't been to our motor vehicle agencies yet. So until a transfer of ownership occurs that requires a new title to be issued, until that time happens, that title will not indicate anything necessarily mm. about that damage. So uh, from a public standpoint, there's a time frame there that uh, there's a lot of things can happen to that vehicle that the public may not really be privy to know about. Um, so it's, again, it's a buyer beware, do your, do your research and ask a lot of questions before you buy. So, so let's pl- play that out in a theoretical scenario. So yeah. you've got a vehicle in Florida from Hurricane Ian that's been flooded. Mm-hmm. The insurance company has declared it a total loss, and now they have 30 days from the time they do that to actually mm-hmm. even report it to Nimvitis. So now that's that right. vehicle could go any number of places in those 30 Absolutely. days, including out of state, 
be sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's run that scenario first. So now that vehicle now goes from Florida, and we'll say since you're here, we'll say it ends up yes. in Iowa. Okay. Okay. Um, within that 30 days, someone in Iowa could purchase that vehicle. That's right. And even if they went to vehiclehistory.gov, they may not have that information. That's right. Because the insurance company still hasn't reported it. They haven't done anything wrong because they're right. within their time frame. They're just moving the inventory faster than their reporting is happening. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, in the Florida title that may be presented in Iowa may not indicate anything because it's still in the name of the person who owned the vehicle when it sustained the damage. Mm-hmm. So as a buyer, uh, you're very vulnerable at that time. And that's why it's so important, I think, timely that we get the information out to the public because now is the time when those vehicles are moving that may not have a lot of public information about their history of it so it's so important for a buyer to ask questions and you know our members our our jurisdictions our motor vehicle agencies our front counter staff to be aware of trends of why am i seeing so many uh, titles coming through my jurisdiction that are from florida for example Uh, maybe i need to ask some questions maybe somebody Mm -hmm. you know bought a couple semi loads of vehicles from florida and have moved them 2,000 miles from that right. state, right? And now all of a sudden they're all coming through my motor vehicle agency. That might raise some suspicion as sure. to what's going on. But if that insurance company initially declared it a total loss and did a payout, mm-hmm. should that vehicle even be going anywhere? Is it supposed to be being destroyed? Or is there <clears> a different definition of where I could pay this out and sell it? That's a great That's a great question. So, you know, most uh, jurisdiction laws are going to say, okay, if it's a total loss payout, insurance companies required, you know, to to not only report that to Invitus, but also get that title transferred, right? Get that title into their name. And once that happens, then now we'll have that brand, as long as everything has been disclosed properly, um, that brand would be there, right? So once that new title gets issued, if it's if it's issued in the name of an insurance company or maybe issued in the name of a of a car dealer mm-hmm. or maybe a salvage company, then then we would have that new title with that brand on. But until someone actually goes into our motor vehicle agency and says, please apply mm-hmm. that brand, it's not going to be there. And are there requirements of what should and shouldn't happen to the actual vehicle itself based on the brand it's given? Meaning if it's given a certain brand, is that vehicle supposed to be destroyed and taken out of commission? That's a good question because, um, you know, insurance companies can make a decision on whether or not they feel like this vehicle, you know, depending on the jurisdiction it's in and the jurisdiction laws, they could decide, you know, I think this vehicle could be repaired and potentially be put back on the road again. Or insurance company could deem it as a junk vehicle, total loss, um, which most of our jurisdictions would say then that vehicle is never to be registered and be driven on the road again. Could be used as parts only. But I can tell you, Ian, that uh, a junk, a, a title for a junk vehicle is still worth a lot of money when you look at the potential that that could be used for stolen vehicles, clone vehicles, mm-hmm. if we don't catch it, that they could disguise another vehicle as that vehicle. So it's really important that we're aware of that uh, history. So just because it's been received that flooded brand doesn't necessarily mean it would be illegal or inappropriate for that vehicle to still be on the road under certain circumstances. Under certain circumstances, that's correct. Fascinating. Yeah, that's right. And it also could mean that that it could be branded flooded or even total loss. They could sell those parts of that vehicle, even knowing that some correct. of those parts may be the reason why that that's vehicle exactly was right. flooded or jumped. You think of like the braking components or electrical components of that vehicle? 
they're worth a lot of money. Airbags, I mean, think of the value yep. of airbags and, and how those could be very susceptible to being damaged, but they're again being sold uh, because of the value of them. Hmm. So now let, let's transition to that other side of where our members, the motor vehicle agencies, yes. are maybe doing that title transfer or doing that title check. Mm -hmm. So now we'll go back to the example, you're back in Iowa, you are purchasing this vehicle, and now you want to get a title with Iowa Yes. You know, for this vehicle. What is the, what's Iowa's role now in checking Invitus, looking uh, at that yes. title, and if they see this, well, wait a minute, I see this was titled in Florida and it's labeled as flooded. flooded. What, what do they tell their Iowa constituents sitting across the counter at that point? Yeah, so that's where you hope as a motor vehicle agency that the customer is duly aware of what they're purchasing, right? That, they have, that they're aware that they purchased a vehicle that's salvage, that's a flood vehicle. May not always be the case. So the motor vehicle agency may be the first ones to disclose that to the customer. But there's, there's, there's the issue of the junk salvage insurance information, which is different than the titling information. So... Um, you know, it, it may not appear on a title record that this vehicle is branded as salvage or flood, but it may appear in the junk salvage information that our motor vehicle agencies would all query uh, upon receiving that title. They would query Invitus, which would include the junk salvage insurance information. This is where our motor vehicle agencies need to do a little investigative research. If they mm. see that the title being presented is not branded, but they see where a salvage yard and an insurance company has reported it through the junk salvage insurance information that the vehicle was salvage or was flooded. That's where our motor vehicle agencies need to do some investigation to determine, does that vehicle meet the definition of our jurisdiction law to require it to be put on a branded title at that point? Um, because it, maybe it hasn't been at that you know at mm -hmm. that time yet, so that's where it does take some work on our parts of our motor vehicle agencies. It's a clue. It's 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 a reasonable suspicion that maybe this vehicle should be branded, um, but that's where we ask our motor vehicle agencies if you see that in a junk salvage insurance information that this vehicle was salvaged, was flooded. We need to take a look and see where does that meet our jurisdiction law to where we need to brand that title mm. as well. And those jurisdiction laws are not necessarily consistent That's or universal. It. That's exactly, and they're different than the Invitus Federal, which is Invitus is a federal law, right? So uh, those salvage yards insurance companies have to comply with the Invitus laws, which for junk and salvage definitions may be different than what the jurisdiction laws are as far as at what point does the vehicle meet the definition of a salvage vehicle, what percentage of damage. Uh, so it's, it, it may be different. And so uh, that's certainly something our jurisdictions, you know, definitely need to be aware of. Mm. Now, when the Motor Vehicle Administration is doing the search, they're getting those two sources of information, the, mm -hmm. the title history, the brands on the title, along with the junk salvage and insurance mm -hmm. information. If a consumer is trying to do their due diligence and they go to vehiclehistory.gov and they search that VIN, are they also getting access to all that information? They're going to they're gonna see that information. And then the, the challenging thing is, Ian, you know, our motor vehicle agency folks deal with this every day. They're experts in that area. Many of our consumers, our general public, don't buy vehicles very often. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we encourage them, look at the Invitus reports and do your homework. But what's hard is they don't, they just don't understand many times what all this means. Sure. And, a, and a potential seller could be pretty coy about how they disclose or not disclose information. So um, it, is, it can be a real challenge for the public. That's where when they come to the motor vehicle agency, 
they may be learning things that they did not realize, or they may not want to put any trust in the report. Maybe they're trusting the seller more than the report. Mm. Um, and and there again, it's it's buyer beware because uh, it, it could be complicated to understand. Yeah. The full history. Now, of course, it's buyer beware, but I'm going to ask this mostly because you know your your background, which includes mm-hmm. the investigation side of the world. Yes. Have we ever have we seen the trends in terms of where the fraud occurs? And what I mean by that is someone along that line, from the original owner where it was flooded to the person selling the flooded vehicle, somebody is not disclosing something. And what mm-hmm. I so what I'm trying to understand is. Do we see trends that it's usually that last seller that knows they're selling something they shouldn't sell and they're not disclosing it? Or is it somewhere else along the way, almost like a game of telephone, where by the time it gets to that used car dealer or that person selling the vehicle, they may not even be aware of what it is that they're Mm -hmm. selling? You're right, Ian. It, it's, it, it, can, it can happen all along the process. Typically, you think of it, though, from, you know, where's the most money to be made? And if I am an unscrupulous um, seller of vehicles and I can buy that vehicle very um, cheap in price because I know that the vehicle has sustained this type of damage, I'm going to be the one most likely to have the most to gain if I can dispose of that vehicle to a retail customer who does not know the full history of that vehicle. Mm. So that's typically when we see the unscrupulous activities. It's from that, that what, we, what I would call the wholesale buyer to the retail purchaser, because that's where the most gain is at that point. But somebody's selling it to that wholesale buyer who knows what that, they're selling. That can be an issue. It's just that the, the gain isn't as great when the original purchaser, original owner of the sure. vehicle is selling it to a wholesaler. Sure, there's, there's potential fraud there, right? And we see that, but there's just not as much potential gain as there is if I can buy that at a, at a really reduced price because I know it's damaged, and if right. I can turn it and make it look really clean, and sell it at a retail price. That's so then what's the motivation of that, the person or the entity that's selling mm-hmm. the damaged vehicle to the wholesale buyer, okay. right, who knows they're trying to get yep. away with something, because like you said again, yep. that person that's, the entity that's selling it to the wholesale buyer knows they're selling something they shouldn't be selling. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. their motivation to do that if it's not that monetary? You know, it depends on how they acquired the vehicle. Um, we see that more with uninsured or vehicles are just not insured at all where a a citizen is is uh, you know maybe they owe money on the vehicle they did not have comprehensive Mm. insurance on the vehicle so they're looking for a way to to try to get out of this debt and so they're trying to sell the vehicle for as much as they can um, which means just to cut their losses that's right and they may not want to disclose the full history and so this is where we get very concerned about those vehicles that are not fully insured because it leaves the seller, the owner of the vehicle, susceptible to maybe dishonesty when they're selling the vehicle because they want to try to yeah. make up for their loss. And again, where we started, it, it's it's fairly easy to make a flooded vehicle look like it's Absolutely. okay to drive. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't take a lot of work to dry it out it and freshen out. it up. and Yep, maybe replace a bulb or two if you have to, right? If there's a light that comes on, a warning light. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this has been fascinating, Paul. What, yeah. what else about flooded vehicles? I know we're talking a lot about it in the community. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you think really deserves good, good You know, invitation? I think just for our, for our members to be aware that we have the Invitus Check Before You Buy video, they can link that on their website. 
I strongly encourage our members to partner with our consumer protection offices mm. who are right in the middle of this as well because it is a huge consumer protection issue. So, you know, if they can do joint press releases, uh, maybe share some stuff on each other's websites, uh, we've got to get to the consumers uh, before they buy these vehicles. That's so hard because I know the consumers are looking for a good deal. As you know, mm -hmm. our used car market right now does not have many vehicles in yep. it, right? Yep. And so the public is desperate for these vehicles, and which makes them very vulnerable. So yeah. the more our members can partner with other associations, the Federal Trade Commission has some really good information as well. Uh, it's ultimately hopefully going to help protect our, our consumers, yeah. you know, our citizens. And is a real challenge on the practical side of a consumer checking before they buy. What I mean by that is when you go car shopping, mm -hmm. you go out, you might have some, some ideas in mind, and then you go there and you find what you want or what you think you want. Mm -hmm. They're going to make, you know, what could I do to get you in this car today? They're yes, going to make it absolutely. really attractive to not go home and think about it. <laughs> yep. And it's yeah. hard to say, well, let me pull up my phone and check vehiclehistory.gov and put in this VIN number. That's, That's not right. a real natural thing. That's we, right. What we want them to do is say, no matter how good that deal is, go home and think about it and do your research. Yes. But I don't think that's the... I don't know that's just the culture of buying a car. I know I I know when I've even even when you buy new cars, right? You do your research online and you go in and you buy and you buy the car. I think right. it's a more common approach. That is, that's right. And I sold a pickup a few years ago, Ian, and, and I had a gentleman test driving it. And it was an older pickup, you know, over a hundred thousand miles, and he's like, You're asking a lot of money for it. And I said, Well, you know, it's still in great condition. He said, well, these other vehicles are out there asking a lot less. And I said, well, you've ever heard of spinning odometers? Mm. And, and he's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. So I mean, that's a great example of how our public is very naive because they, they, they don't buy vehicles on a regular basis. Right. And so they're very naive to potentially what they might be getting themselves into. And you just hate to see them put the money down and then realize it later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just and, and trust the sources. I just got off a call, Ian with a company who said, you know, this, this vehicle history report shows this, the title shows this, they don't match. And I said, you need to investigate it. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe there's a mistake, but don't assume, and you know, we hear that a lot, you know, the public just assumes that, well, this report must be incorrect. Mm -hmm. Because what the person's telling me, I, I believe them. Or what's on the title, maybe I believe them. Well, you know, do your, do your homework before you, before you buy that vehicle. And our motor vehicle agencies can help you know, help promote that message. Excellent. Well, Paul, thanks yeah. for spending some thank time you. with me thank today you, on man. this very timely conversation. Uh, yeah. Thank to all of you for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.